Welcome to another episode of Metal Mastermind. Your host, Jason Stallworth, and co-host and co-founder of Metal Mastermind. Ken Candelis. What's up, guys? So today, uh, we've got a really cool topic to talk about, and this is for all of you. Well, it's just for all of you, because every single one of you listening right now, you are a creator. You create music. And in that, you either write music or there's something that's itching that makes you want to come up with your own riffs, your own lyrics, and so forth. Uh, you know, we don't want you just sitting around learning other people's songs. That's great and all. We want you to take it to that next step, that next level of being a true creator and creating your own song. No matter at what capacity you do that, I want you to create your own riffs, create your own lyrics. And that's what we're going to talk about today, Ken. We're going to we're going to throw out some, you know, some song structure ideas and some arrangements uh, real quick. It's important to note that we're not going to tell you how to write a song or how you should write a song. This is all about just igniting those creative juices and stirring those up inside of you. So we hope that you get some good ideas, some creative ideas uh, from our podcast today. So, Ken, dude, um, you know, everybody has different approaches to songwriting. Right. I've got a certain style that kind of just comes out naturally. Uh, you've got uh, you've got kind of a complex style, dude. So uh, <laughs> first, before, before we get into that, though, man, what what are some common arrangements? Ken? what are some like the most common song arrangements that you hear on the radio and, and even in metal? Um, well, you know, you have the traditional type of A.A.B.A. sort of song form, which is, you know, maybe a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge come back to a chorus or something like that. Um, and some people may even say uh, there's differences between verse chorus type music versus something that is AABA or ABAC <laughs> type of variations. I mean, when I'm calling out these letters, it's just like different parts, uh, sections of the song, right? So if I'm doing ABA, you may, you know, do something like, uh, it is only a paper moon, right? Uh, sailing over cardboard seas, right? But it wouldn't be make-believe if you believe in me, right? That's A. Then you have it again. And it's only a canvas sky, right? It goes over again. That's an old jazz song, right? But when I say A-A-B-A, it's like, okay, we're repeating the melodies in A in the same section over here. Then we transition over to a different section, like without... Your love, it's a honky-tonk parade, right? That's a different section. So all of this to say is that when we are thinking about song form, sometimes it just creates like a, a map for us, right? And AABA is definitely some of the most common. Some people do AABAC. Uh, some people even, you know, derive some inspiration from even older stuff, like, uh, for example, Mozart's, you know, like, uh, actually, the piece Twinkle Twinkle Little Star is actually mm. uh, a variation with lyrics of Mozart's own uh, music, uh, where he was actually writing this piece to, uh, I think it was uh, some sort of princess or queen or something of that sort. But anyway, he, I just he wrote, learned something new, dude. I didn't know that. Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and actually, that original piece uh, is the same exact thing but it changes over time and i think yeah. that's called like a variation type song form where it's like twinkle twinkle little and then it'll repeat again but it'll do a little bit different right and it'll change in technique and in in lyrically and how it moves through its notes and all this kind of stuff so that's a that's an older type of song form that people have used um even like uh a song like you know bridge over waters that yeah. has actually uh like a, a a strophic type of song form a strophic is where you basically do the same melody but you kind of keep it 
largely the same. This was very common in like medieval eras, Renaissance eras, and all this kind of stuff. So there's a bunch of different types of stuff that we've Man. kind of derived some inspiration from. But yeah, <laughs> that's so interesting. I, I just learned a lot just in that little bit. And by the way, dude, you you've got a beautiful voice, man. I've never I've heard you sing oh, death metal you. before, which I, I love your death metal <laughs> vocals, but I never heard you crank out some some just some regular singing. I guess is what we call it, you know. And that was that was cool. Uh, that's very interesting, man. That's very interesting because uh, you went way back and gave yeah. us some history there. Uh, you know, I I always revert my uh, my my simple ways of of thinking of song structure and arrangement and such back to like because uh, I'm an '80s kid. Most of you guys know that, and uh, especially like the hairband era, the you know the Bon Jovi songs, the Poison, Rat Warrant, all these bands. You know, Doc, and right? You had like a, you'd have a verse. Sometimes it'd double the verse, right? It extended. Mm -hmm. Then you'd have a, so you get verse, chorus, verse two chorus bridge and that leads into the cool guitar solo and then usually they'd end out with a chorus and sometimes you'd have a different intro um usually with a guitar solo as well and maybe even a, another piece of music for the outro so that was kind of like the typical uh hit song structure there from back then and i guess it's still you know widely used today as well yeah a lot of people still use uh you know a lot of that same stuff even today i think there's uh in a way, many times a formula to, to making songs and, yeah. you know, songwriters have been cranking out using that formula for a long time. Um, some people that go kind of a little bit deeper into uh, other more, I guess, uh, uh, sort of either older, like archaic type of song forms or yeah. just more avant-garde type styles. They have a little bit more fun with the randomness of and chaos of how things yeah. can be different, too. And we see that in a lot of different bands. Uh, there are actually some more modern bands uh, like uh, Imperial Triumphant mm. uh, does uh, does some really, really more avant-garde type of styles of song form. Uh, another one is called Portal. They are very, very kind of out there, but they have this kind of structure where it's mostly, in a sense, kind of like sound design based, uh, which is very, very cool. Um, and I think, you know, going, you know, touching a little bit on history again, um, it was during like the 1940s uh, where we started to get this uh, other artist by the name of John Cage, who was uh, very, very uh, kind of important to the opening of uh, artists' minds. He was the person who taught us how to look at other sounds that weren't just musical instruments as also music. And uh, by using that kind of logic where, you know, everything can be kind of music in its own way, shape or form, uh, I think it got us to start thinking about other types of ways to create sound. So I think, you know, as <laughs> yeah, as metal yeah. heads, right, we're we're definitely into the sort of like sort of trashy, like distorted type of, oh, you yeah, know, dude. timbres of our music. So I, I would say, you know, it's a huge impact on. Uh, on a lot of our, our our songwriting, you know. But you mentioned you mentioned using other stuff other than instruments, and I know the two songs that come to mind have a really cool sounding bell to them. Metallica's for whom the bell tolls, and of course <laughs> the ACDC yeah. tune. You know, uh, so that's uh, that's interesting. One hundred percent. And I love yeah. hearing stuff like that. And then Metallica's one, they use the the you know the uh, the sound from like a war going on before that song started. And uh, mm -hmm. I know I talk quite a bit about Metallica because that's that's who started me playing guitar. But you know they were known as well as many other bands, not just them, but known for those long drawn out intros. And they just jammed before yeah. for quite a bit before they started singing. Um, you know, I think of Black and that really eerie, just like haunting because, you know, Kirk Hammond, he's really big into horror and, you, and that comes out through his playing. Uh, and then they had kind of the typical do a verse and a chorus and verse had the bridge and, and whatever. But they had a lot of a, a lot of like just music parts, you know, just without the lyrics and the longer songs. And uh, I kind of like that. You know, I like that because, man, just listening to the music is is just cool. It's just cool. The stuff you can come up with. Yeah, and I, I realized later into my career that it wasn't only just how um, your tone is that yeah. makes you sound the way you do. A lot of it does have to do with how you approach writing music. 
I'm so because, glad you said that. I'm so glad. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Going back, by the way, guys, go back and, and watch uh, the podcast we have with Nick Z because we talk a lot about that. You guys, if you guys didn't hear that yet, don't go to that yet. Finish this one first. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm just. I'm very glad you mentioned that because you, you. That's one of the most valid points uh, as, that a musician could take, right? And say it again, Ken. Let's let's hear that again. Yeah, <laughs> it's your your sound is not just your tone; it's also how you approach writing music. Right. It's it's got a lot to do with your thought process and how your creativity sort of gets executed onto quote unquote paper, you know, uh, making something tangible. Because uh, when I was writing my 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 own album, I uh, very quickly realized that how I was approaching writing music was a little different than others. Um, and one of the things that was uh, kind of notable to me in how I was approaching music was a little bit more inspired by uh, stuff like sonata form, uh, which is yeah. a, an old style that was used during the romantic era. We're talking like, you know, late 1700s, early 1800s. Um, and then that whole era where Beethoven and, you know, Chopin and all these different types of, you know, piano players and also orchestral uh, uh, writers like uh, Hector Berlioz or something like that, who was a big inspiration on John Williams, who John Williams was a big inspiration on Hans Zimmer, who Hans Zimmer was a big inspiration yeah. on me. So well, dude, <laughs> we well. have a lot of different types of, uh, you know, sort of mixes here. And of course, I, I don't write exactly like these guys who, yeah. you know, you know, Beethoven or anything. I'm not a Beethoven. I'm definitely something different, but I have a lot of inklings to how these guys were also thinking about writing music. So uh, sonata form, very short, is just basically you have three parts to a sonata, which is the uh, exposition, which is kind of like the initial idea, um, you know, like you know, then that would be into something called the development where we get into right and we're starting to really change the sort of tune that goes from like one journey here where we have the main idea but then it takes basically like a, a road trip elsewhere and then from the development we come back to the main theme and we call this the recapitulation or the recap right <laughs> i like that yeah so the recapitulation then it kind of takes that and finishes off into the end uh but all of that put together is what sonata form is and we're very inspired in you know modern day film scores i think modern day film score composers are really like the new classical composer yeah. um and how we're hearing that also afflict other types of music you know i mean my music is just only one of them but you know, talk about symphonic metal. Symphonic metal totally has a lot of uh, sort of attribution that can pay homage to either classical composers or even like modern film scoring. So I don't know. I just think it's a very, very interesting uh, sort of thing of how music has become so uh, worldly and contemporary music is just so like it's melded with all these different genres. And, you know, thank Thank everything for the internet, you know, because that's that's what did it. So yeah. we're able to sort of see that now, and I, I just find that fascinating. I love symphonic metal too, man. I, I, I you know, Nightwish. I'm a huge Nightwish fan. Uh, you know, and I, I think it was one of the more recent albums, or maybe it's their most recent, Shutter Before the Beautiful. Um, they do a lot of instrumental stuff on that album. Now, some folks were disappointed in that because, you know, they only had, they had less vocal songs, mm. which I, I love the songs on that album. But I was starting to think about why did they put all this instrumental stuff on there? And you just nailed something when you're talking about film scoring. Um, that might have been a strategy. I don't know this to be certain, but it would make sense if Nightwish said, hey, you know, we're composing this music. Why don't we try this strategy? What if what if this gets picked up in one of the one of the big films? You know, because as a musician, and I know this is a part that a lot of people, you know, really kind of shy away from, you know, you do want to earn revenue. You do want to earn a living from your music. I know we all say, well, it's just a hobby for some and yada yada, but you know, if you're really passionate about your music, why would you not want to do it for a living? And this is a conversation for a different time, but it does make sense, though, to um, 
it, maybe focus on the instrumentation a little more and maybe even have some instrumental versions of some of your songs. I think Delane, they just put out a new album. I believe they have some instrumentals on that as well. Uh, but a lot of bands, and Ken, you know, a lot of bands will, will have a, have the song, right? But they'll have just an instrumental-only version of that as well on top of that. So I think that's so, interesting. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm glad you also talked that because that allows artists to expand uh, their income streams from yes. doing stuff like that. Um, uh, uh, the world of sync licensing is a real thing uh, oh, where... Cool. You get your music basically on, you know, some sort of movie or you get it into a, a commercial or a TV show. The sync licensing is is big money for, for many musicians, and that's how yeah. they make their living and their big break in some cases, too. So, you know, when you're making an album, absolutely, like, consider, like, releasing instrumentals that will be able to be accessible uh, for people that are interested in possibly playing your stuff. Um, the, the biggest thing about that, and this might encourage some of you to be more, uh, solo <laughs> in your music, uh, mm -hmm. which is something that, uh, you know, we certainly are Jason and I, we are, we, we operate our own solo projects, uh, and for good reason now, because we have control over our own music, Completely. but, uh, you know, that, that, that aspect of you being the only owner of that copyright is actually really, really powerful. And we call this in the sync licensing world a one-stop where you can mm. basically just have one person to talk to, right? I'm Let's say I'm a movie producer. I'm like, oh my God, or I'm a music supervisor for a movie that wants to get tracks onto this, onto this film. Yeah. Okay. So Jason, oh, I heard your track. Oh, masterpiece. This is incredible. Do you, do, do you have... Uh, all the rights to all of this. And you're saying, yes, yes, of course, this is my song. Uh, I'm the only person you need to talk to about this. And they're like, great. Do we have your permission? Yes. Awesome. Of course. <laughs> yeah. contract. So let's go. So <laughs> oh, they man. love dealing with just single songwriters in this case. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, you know, if you have a band, that's not a bad thing either. Yeah. You know, you just have to be all on the same page and you have to react quickly. That's the biggest thing about this kind of world. But I say this to bring another point, which is, you know, making an album uh, as just a musician for an audience to hear is one thing, but you can also be a musician and make music for music libraries too. If you're, let's mm -hmm. say, an instrumentalist and all you make yeah. is instrumental metal, like put that stuff into a music library where it can end up in a commercial. Like that's another way of making money, right? So take that skill that you have and make something that can be usable in an edit, right? And that is actually a much simpler uh, way of writing uh, songs because what they're looking for is stuff that is predictable. So you can use that to your advantage in a case like that. Um, then beyond that, of course, you still have the ability to write, you know, your own standalone album and have instrumental parts out of that too. But it's just another avenue that, songwriters can take and be even more uh how would you say versatile in this industry there's truly something to think about guys you know when, when you're writing music and i know some i know a lot of listeners uh do just solo projects a lot of folks that are uh that are on our channel and on our podcast here may be guitar players and maybe they don't do vocals or don't want to do vocals they just want to work with maybe a drummer and bass player to, you know, you hire those things out uh, to accompany your music, your song, you still on the song. That's why that's why I love about musicians for hire. You know, I, I hired Cameron Flurry, a great drummer to uh, to play the drums on this upcoming album Overcometh and then my masterpiece album. Well, that's a that's a one and done thing. Um, and honestly, you know, if the album ever like just took off. I would more than likely like, Hey dude, I just want to, you know, here, happy birthday. <laughs> I want to give you a little something <laughs> extra, you know, profit sharing. Cause I, I, I truly like to create a win when, uh, you know, after reading Stephen Covey's book, um, seven habits of highly effective people, one of those habits was creating a win-win. So, and it, but you're not obligated to, you're not obligated to share revenue with anyone, a producer, a label, you know, only the songwriters, uh, are, are, 
taking that grab you can do whatever you want to after that with it so you may you bring up a valid point you know it's your song there's no red tape to cut through you know it's kind of i'm surprised how many bands and how many artists have written songs and even even people who have created movies like the movie script right that don't own the rights to their own work it's like i i don't i get it but i don't get it i'm sure at the time like well to make this work for us to fund the project, you know, you have to sign over your rights or whatever the case. I, I don't know all the ins and outs of that industry of how that works. But just the fact, you know, you brought up being independent artists that if someone wants to use that piece of music that you wrote and you're you're an indie artist, there's no red tape. There's no one to ask permission. It's just yours. Like, yeah, OK, let's make a deal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that's a, another avenue we could go down, which is protecting yourself and getting the most out of an industry like this. For example, if you are, if you are working with other songwriters, uh, you have to think about uh, publishing as well. So if I get, let's say a sync license deal, right. And uh, it's actually very common for that to be somewhere in the ballpark of $150,000 fee and up. It's very, very profitable. Yeah, so it is you get yes so you get one, let's one say, of those a year please <laughs> yes so you get you get in there and you get this opportunity and the person goes like okay well first you know we need to get approval from everybody but right off the top half of that is gone because mm. half of that goes to your publisher that's how it works when it comes to royalties and splits gotcha, right gotcha. when you are going to if you when you sign up for cd baby when you sign up for tune core yeah. any of these guys they become your publisher, right? right? So, and the way copyright law works is uh, your publisher puts it out onto these platforms to exploit your songs so you can make money for them. And that revenue gets split between you two based on a percentage. Now you keep 100% of the writer's share, but that's how it's always been. It's yeah. always been 50-50, writer share, publisher share. So right. really out of the entire copyright, you're keeping 50%. <laughs> but 100 percent okay of writers <laughs> right right and and I'm, I'm okay with that like i i use cd baby i've, I've used them um and I, i've explored other you know, platforms and i'm not gonna say one's better than the other I, I don't know i couldn't tell you but uh it's been easy to use all my stuff's on there i'm, I'm working on album number five i want to publish it through cd baby as well just processes is is simple which I like simplicity uh, and it's familiar to me and they, they've got a good name too. So again, I'm not trying to sell anybody on CD baby. It's just my personal preference. Um, but in any case, you know, you don't have like two or three producers or a label or anything like that, taking even more of that cut or owning some of the rights to your song. Like can you and I, right. we own the rights, hundred percent of the rights to our songs, you know, and we yep. could tell someone no, if we wanted to. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, one other thing, uh, you know, not only are you having to like divide this between songwriters and stuff like that, but if you have a label deal, uh, you want to you want to also keep in mind that a lot of labels have a, a clause in their contract, mm-hmm. something called a controlled composition. Ooh. And if you don't know what a controlled composition clause is, I'll tell you. OK, here's some here's some juicy alpha. OK, controlled compositions basically in the. In federal law, you're entitled to 9.1 cents per mechanical royalty sale. Okay, that means for every you know physical merch item or f- physical uh, CD that you've made that contains your music in it, right? At minimum, you are uh, required to earn 9.1 cents on that. Now, if we go ahead and talk about how record labels screw over artists, you are basically with a control composition you are giving up you are giving up your federal right you are basically telling the record label that you are giving the giving them the authority to give you less than what the federal rate is uh. it's it's real sly contractual speak to get you to do it Right? And you look at a control composition, you're just like, what the heck is this? But yeah, basically, they control the amount of royalties given to you based upon that. 
So it's so, it's so bad. And you know what? It's like, they know a lot of artists want to get on a label. So they will do stuff like that and they will screw you on the back end and things like this, uh, where, you know, instead of getting the full hundred percent, you're getting 75% back instead. Um, the light, right. It's it's that fine fine print. print. It's that fine print. Yeah. And songwriting has to deal with a lot of just protections that that's why I talk about this, right? Because we want to make sure that when you go and you create your music, you know, don't get desperate to, you know, hop on a label so quick labels one, they want people that are established. So they're going to be working on, you know, scouting for those who have a fan base already, and then try and see if they can, you know, take advantage of that. So, uh, labels, they have their place in some aspects, you know, if you're already well enough, uh, off on what you're doing independently, a label could help maybe get to that next plateau. But the whole point is, if you're doing that, you're going to want to come in with some leverage. You know, you don't, you don't want to be dependent on them for anything. What you want to be able to do is, okay, make the deal to work in your favor because you can just walk away and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's what we teach here at Metal Mastermind is trying to be that independent musician to be as well off and sustainable as we possibly can help you. So that's been the mission that we've been trying to fight for a long time. And Jason and I, we're both indie musicians who have been trying to do it on our own for years. So I I feel it's important to mention that, uh, to just to give a little bit of context that, you know, talking about songwriting is just as much to do with the music business as it is also doing the creative work. Well, so let's let's circle back around to songwriting. You know, we just we just went through this whole spill and, and a lot of valuable information, guys, on uh, maybe why it might be in your best interest to go indie, right? To release it through some kind of company like CD Baby TuneCore, so they can put it out there on you know Spotify and all those platforms for you. They collect the royalties, they collect everything for you, and pay you. They take a small percentage, but nothing compared to what a label uh, would take from you and or the fine print that we just talked about where you might just totally get hosed. But let's circle back around to songwriting. You know, and and a lot of times, I want to bring this up, guys, a lot of times in in music, us metalheads, and really across all genres, people kind of... They kind of make the excuse for themselves that, well, I don't, I don't really need everybody to like my music. I don't want to be popular. I, I, I think in some cases, Ken, this is this is kind of strong here. I think in some cases that might be a cop out that we're creating so that we don't have to, we don't have to worry about writing something that's got some substance to it. So, which brings me back to songwriting. Should Ken, should we write, or should this be a thought at least? of okay let's write our structure let's arrange our song in a way that's going to be attractive to certain cases like if i want to write some instrumental work okay it's my music it's original it's authentic but what if my what if part of my goal because you can have more than one goal what if part of the goal was to yeah i want my name on something that i put out there but another goal of that is, is to be picked up by a film or something like that what are your thoughts on that, Ken? You know, the the authenticity of your music and maybe maybe really writing it in a manner that it could or it has better potential to be picked up. Does that make sense? Well, uh, that's a great question. And it's uh, it's kind of a fine line because when you start doing something that is built for licensing, uh, it's it's not necessarily going to be as attractive listening to it if it was like acdc or something you know um you know like just writing music for music you're writing what we call program music which is just writing music for a purpose a very specific built purpose um you know absolute music would just be writing music just for music's sake um so i think sometimes the music that we write in absolute music can be used in program music but it really depends on how much editability you have with uh or malleability you can make with with that type of a piece and i would say give as many variations as possible so for example i mean things like uh provide a stripped down maybe percussion only version 
maybe uh, stripped down, no vocals, but with all the backing tracks put together, that's another version. Like we're talking um, about earlier. Yeah. 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 You know, maybe you have, um, you know, in my case, like I do orchestral music, right? So I would also have a version that's just orchestral, not with the metal parts in it, you know? So I would have different variations that could fit for different parts of some sort of program. Uh, if you're going to do that, you want to also think about how loopable something could be. Mm. Um, and if you like, if, if you like video game music or things like that, and that's something very much akin to how you like to write music that that can help. Um, but that's not always the case for everybody. I think that you have to really know what it is that you like to write uh, in order to be thinking about whether or not that's the right path for you. Because it's not the right path for everybody to make licensing music. Um, you're right, you're it, right. it's, it's, a, it's a style of writing. And some of us in our own regular music, like I said before, can adapt what we have to be part of that. But some of us may have stuff that doesn't necessarily fit in that context either. So, and that's okay. That's not to say that you're, you know, you are hopeless. <laughs> it's just, it means that uh, you might have to write new stuff if you want to make it fit that sort of context. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, totally cool. You can be formulaic in that way as well. Uh, yeah. I, well, the reason I bring that question up, though, and, and we've seen the trends over the years, especially me, you know, I'm, I'm a bit older, so I've seen the trends over the years. Uh, you know, there, there's one thing to be authentic and original and like, OK, well, this is this is our sound. But then you see this whenever the music changes a little and I'll use the grunge and, and Seattle scene that came upon us when when 80s metal just really started to take a nosedive. Well, there were some bands out there that were trying to cross over to that. Well, this is what's going on. So if we want to stay relevant and stay on the radio and keep, con you know, continuing to get paid, we're going to have to change a little here, right? And fit this mold. Well, of course, a lot of bands didn't. I remember uh, hearing the story about Nevermore. Their label wanted them, well, you guys got to go grunge now. They're like, no, we're not. We're a metal band. We're not grunge, okay? And I have a lot of respect for that. Uh, but then you've seen the trends, though. Once that, once that scene came out, well, every band that came on the scene thereafter sounded almost just like Eddie Vedder. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you had this, uh, you know, Pearl Jam and nothing against Pearl Jam. I, I thought they were kind of a a great kind of like a, a jam band almost. They're just really laid back. They kind of threw perfection out the window and, and kind of I, I've got some respect for that in a lot of ways. But at the same time every other band was trying to sound like Pearl Jam, sound like Nirvana, sound like all these other bands. And then we saw it, you know, when the new metal scene came out, you know. Uh, so I think it's a balance of it opening doors for other bands that like that sort of thing. But it also opens doors for bands like, hey, this is what's happening right now. This is the trend. We're going to try to chase this trend. So maybe we'll have a better shot at making it. So, you know, that... <laughs> That's a tough decision, Ken. That's a when you're writing music. Um, personally, I've never chased any of the trends, and this doesn't mean I'm better because maybe if I chased a trend, who knows? Maybe one of my songs would have become a hit. I don't know that. I don't not you know, and I don't know that it, it would have just been another song, right? Um, but there, I guess there's a fine line of uh, of trying to fit your music into a category into what's going on that and then just playing what's truly in your heart you know, i tend to go with like well this is how i play this is what's in my heart and that's just what comes out i i really can't write any other way whereas other people are, are really good at kind of following a trend it's like okay this is what's going on i can write something like that yeah that's uh that's an emotional decision for a lot of us and yeah. i feel always that you should write the music that you feel is like the coolest in your head yeah because yeah. that's gonna always bring out the best qualities in your songwriting so i would say always listen to that even if you're trying to do something like formulaic music like sync licensing yeah. uh, i think in some aspects you can balance a bit of the two of you know trying to find a trend versus keeping true to yourself i don't think you have to sacrifice what you really like to write in order to follow a trend. I think it's a it's very, very smart to observe the trends mm -hmm. 
and see what's happening. Because what are the things about that that are making things more successful in that realm, right? I don't think you have to necessarily copycat the the tone or the the structure of it, but you know maybe something in that can inspire you on maybe just timing when you do certain things, right? That could be like a strategic move uh, in how you go and release your music, not necessarily how you write your music. So that could be a way that it could help you. Uh, trend setting is another way of thinking of this, where you know you take trends, throw it out the window, and you basically isolate yourself to the point where you don't even know what's new on the radio anymore, and you're writing mm-hmm. stuff that you feel is the truest part of you. I think that's been something that I've done um, before, and I feel very beneficial for doing that. But at the same time, it keeps you out of the loop of what's happening in the industry as well. So there's a fine balance with that too, right? You don't want to go too far removed that you don't even know what's happening in the business end of the, of the music industry to make your yeah. song even successful. So, oh, but like, there's a balance, you know, like you just said, man, there's a balance between yeah. that, uh, you know, it's, uh, so it's it's like you want to be original, you want to be authentic, okay? And then you might say, well, I'm not going to follow the trend. But at the same time, Ken, you don't want to have to try so hard to be different. Does that make sense? It's yeah. like, well, I'm, I'm just going to go this route, completely the route, because I don't like what's going on. So I'm just going to, and with that intent, I mean, that even can take the authenticity out of what's really inside of you. I think, you know, uh, one, one of the one, one of my favorite bands in general and, and especially bands that they do not sound like anyone else, nor does anyone sound like them is King's X. I love Doug Pinnock, uh, the, the vocalist and the bassist. Uh, he's got a, just a monster bass tone and like not so much tone, but writing style. Uh, tie on guitar, phenomenal guitar player, you know, being the only, they're a trio. Um and I forgive me, I, I don't recall the drummer's name, so I'm going to smack myself for that. But they they were always true to their own sound. They never followed any trends. They just they're a progressive kind of like a, a progressive rock if you had to categorize them. But in any case, yeah, I mean, you know, you don't want to sound like someone else on purpose. Like, oh, I like that band. I'm going to try to sound like them. This is why this is why I tell my guitar players, like, stop focusing so much on trying to dial in someone else's guitar tone. Why? Right. It's already done. Stop trying to sing like this other person or play drums like this other person. Get some tips from that, right? We all have our influences, but use that to develop your own style and sound, not someone else's. And that's kind of what we live by here, Ken. Yeah, I think that all boils down to how aware of your intuition you are. Uh, Your songwriting skills really come from intuition. And so does your sound when you're trying to search for tone as well. Uh, yes, trust your ears, but trust your gut even more. Yes, you have to. You have to really think uh, about how is this uh, project that you're working on making you feel in terms of every aspect of it. Um, is the movement of the music right? The the song form is that yeah. what's doing it for you? Is it uh, an element within the mix production wise that's doing it for you? Uh, is it melodically what's doing it for you? Is it groove? There's all these aspects in everything that we do with music that contributes to the whole. But there's like, for example, a band like Lamb of God, they consider themselves groove metal. So what do they focus on most of the time? <laughs> groove. Groove, dude. <laughs> so yeah, of course. We're, we're, you know, every time you listen to a Lamb of God song, it's always just like you could bop your head because yeah. you're just like, yeah. Yeah, it's groovy. <laughs> I'm loving it. So they capitalize on that and they know what makes them Lamb of God. Yeah. Uh, and that just, again, takes an awareness of your intuition of knowing what it's supposed to feel like. Uh, and sometimes that's in the beginning for us when we're starting out, we don't know what it is because it's all chaotic and we're just excited and we want to do this cool thing. Uh, but as you grow and mature in your songwriting, you become more aware of the sort of the icks of the things that you don't like or the things that you do like uh, and how those affect your emotional response and in others. 
so that's that that's a key element of songwriting is just being aware. It's kind of like learning more about yourself in a sense um, to know what it is that you provide. What do you bring to the table that makes you you? But you can only do that by trying to write. So you have to kind of, you you know, it, it, as the the old uh, saying for I think it was Andrew Carnegie, right? Andrew Carnegie was like, you know, we we dig in the dirt because, but we're not looking for dirt. We're looking for gold. So we dig mm-hmm. a lot of dirt to find gold, and that's what you got to do when you're songwriting too. You gotta you gotta keep writing, and you gotta go through that dirt to see what it is that really makes you who you are and that's the gold nugget that you're looking for and all of that so you have to just keep going you have to just keep doing what you're doing put in the work and you don't find that right away guys a lot of times we uh and even if we do find it i don't know that there's really even finding it because you evolve as a songwriter you know my ken you can look at the the last thing you released was probably much different or or last thing the thing you're working on right now right? This, oh, yeah. this new Homeric project, probably a little bit different or much different even than the very first song that you ever put out there, ever wrote. Uh, you know, my first, you know, professional release was Apocalyptic Dreams back in 2013. That album, an instrumental, kind of instrumental rock, instrumental metal, um, it, it was kind of like a Joe Satriani meets Metallica type of thing, if you had to label it. Uh, and that's much different than the latest album I released in 2019, Masterpiece, right? Which was on a seven mm-hmm. string, more more along the kind of, you know, Megadeth meets Amanamarth type of thing. And and this new thing that I'm writing now, uh, it's much different from any of that. However, I will say this, you'll be able to tell it's Jason Stallworth. Just like when you release Homeric, you, you've you got your style, Ken. You've got your writing style. You've got the way you you build these progressions and, and do the structure they'll be able to tell, okay, this is Ken Candela's, this is Homeric, right? So even my wife, you know, she's not a musician, uh, but you know, I can be playing something on iTunes and of course my own stuff will pop up and she's not familiar with all my songs, but she knows it's me when she hears it, you know, even, even friends right. of mine, they know it's you because you develop your own style. You've got this, this thing about you and every one of you listening right now, you know, you have that. And you will continue to develop that. And I think that's important. You know, like Ken said, keep digging through the dirt. You'll find the gold nuggets along the way. uh, And you'll start to find bigger ones along the way because you will grow as a musician. But you've got to put in the time and the work and put in the effort. You know, don't expect to find gold the first time you dig. Right. 100%. And, you know, you might discover that, you know, for example, like I'm not a I'm not a person who turns around songs very quickly. My my stuff is very premeditated. I have to sit and really like think about how I want to intentionally write my music, which is why it takes me a long time to to create an album. Uh, when it comes to other people, some people they're much quicker, and their feel is very. Sometimes it can even feel like it's almost as if they can take a jam session and turn that into a song. <laughs> there are some people like that, and that's okay too. You have to know what works for you. Like, and that might also give you some direction as to being true to yourself, but knowing which part of the industry is best for you, right? Mm-hmm. Is it better for you to try doing sync licensing because you just have so many ideas that keep coming out of your head that it has to be heard by the world in some way, shape, or form? Or do you have this one big giant, you know, project that you want to really work on yeah. and that's going to take some time and you want to really like flush that out? That's that's a decision that you'll have to make. So listen to yourself and, you know, don't think that because, you know, uh, an artist that you idolize is doing one other thing that that negates what you should be doing, because that's what works for them. That may not work for you. That's also let's relate it to something else. Uh, Scheduling your time of day. Right. Are you a morning person or are you a night person? Well, if your idol is a morning person, doesn't mean that you have to be a morning person, too. You could be a night person and do similar things that help maybe give you more focus during your peak hours. Uh, Those are things that I would listen to. Uh, Always listen to your body. Your body is the thing that's going to give you the right move, the right direction for you in your path. 
that's funny because we kind of talked about that when our hardcore what is hardcore podcast oh, yes. we did several several episodes ago i don't recall what number it was we had to go back and listen to that again because you know we talked about that uh you know i i have typically woken up at like 4 4 30 a.m and some people are like well how do you do that that's hardcore I mean, no it's not hardcore it's just the time i operate i want to go to the gym at that time when i get home i start work whereas other people like you said ken uh, their version of a, whatever you want to call it, hardcore or whatever, may be putting in the time and the work at night that might serve them better. There's no right or wrong answer. It doesn't really matter. But you do, uh, the principle here is you do have to put in the time, the effort, and the work. And and I think you have to do what you love to do when it comes to music. What really gets you, Kenya, like you said, uh, if your thing is writing a bunch of instrumentals, because I can crank out riffs all day, man. I do it for YouTube. I, I just cranked out three songs for this new upgrade for our songwriting course that we're about to talk about next here. Uh, but I can crank out music as far as guitar-based stuff pretty quickly. I think a lot of my hang-up is when it comes to uh, the lyrics and the melodies because I'm more picky about those. I want them to be just so impactful. They just have to punch you in the soul. Uh, so I, I spend a lot more time on lyrics and the the melodies of my music as well. So like this album, Overcometh, I've had the music done for a long time. I'm still working on the lyrics and melodies, right? So uh, in any case, though, uh, Ken, anything you want to close with? I do want to tell you guys about uh, this huge upgrade we're doing real quick, though. Uh, once, if Ken, you have any uh, last yeah, last I to part with I think uh, lyric writing. Uh, you know what really helped me in my lyric writing actually was trying to write my lyrics in a different language. If Ooh. you haven't tried that, you should think about it. I speak Thai, uh, so I, I should try writing lyrics in Thai. That's well, interesting. It what it will do for you is make you more uh, acute and aware about how the inflection of words hit rhythm and melody. I think by doing that, you'll pay attention to lyrics, not just as words and poetry to put to music, yeah. but as part of the music itself and how it flows. And mm -hmm. that's a big element that I've learned just by doing something as simple as just trying a different language. And I would, yeah. yeah, I would, I would try maybe experimenting with stuff like that. And it's not something that you necessarily have to commit to, right? If you don't intend to write in Spanish for your English song, you know, write it in English, but you might, you know, try it in Spanish to see maybe how does it roll off the tongue kind of yeah. thing, you know? Uh, so that's a, that's something I would encourage. And I, I did multiple languages for my first album, mainly because I was doing very, worldly type of music with yeah. metal and symphonic elements and when i did my flamenco song i had that in spanish when i did my uh, uh sort of celtic piece i actually got gaelic lyrics and oh, then cool. if uh, we're talking about my my egyptian piece i actually went and got ancient egyptian lyrics nice dude and oh. that was that was a whole story that was like literally a month of research talking to uh coptic churches around yeah. the united states and That's telling crazy. them i want to put these words and lyrics uh in my you know heavy metal tune and they were like you're trying to create a curse no uh shun <laughs> yeah shun away from that dude <laughs> and uh so i ended up actually uh finding an academic who actually had probably some of the most metal lyrics i've ever heard from an old oh. tomb called uh the pharaoh his name was unas uh nice. from from the ancient uh old kingdom and that was that was very interesting so yeah that's a that's a start for another day but i ended up listening to the the phonetics right the the way the words were said uh and i and i tried to put those in rhythm and that made me think of those lyrics in a completely different way and so everything else after that I've done Latin lyrics. I've done a lot of different types of languages. So it's very, very unique, the, the, the way I've kind of approached this. But it's helped me so much in, again, thinking of lyrics as not just like its own separate thing, but it's, it's, it's all in one as part of the rhythmic elements and the melodic elements of music. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great exercise if you haven't tried it. That's cool. Yeah, you got me thinking. I do want to write some stuff in Thai. Uh, yeah, most, you know, Ken, my wife is is Thai, and we, we're 
<laughs> this is a pun, but we're we're tied to Thailand <laughs> in a sense. Yep. Uh, in a very good way. I love the culture. I, I speak the language at a, probably a lower intermediate level, if I'm going to be honest with myself. You know, starting to read and write more, but I do want to I do want to write some songs Thai and kind of break into that market as well. Um, while not losing folks here, maybe I like I like what Dave Mustaine did in Atout Le Monde. He wrote uh, some of the lyrics, like the course, I believe, in French, and the other the verses were written in English, and it just turned out to be a very beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song. So I want to do something like that, not for a whole album, or maybe just for a song or two here and there. So yeah. anyway, that's just something you can uh, incorporate it. You can incorporate it in more subtle ways too. They could yeah. be, let's say, you have gang vocals in the back, you know, mm, chanting like in Thai, right? Yeah. While you have your lead in English, you know, that Ooh, could totally like be that. a way that you incorporate it, you know, and it can go back and forth. Uh, maybe you do something like the Tulamon where, you know, you have yeah. just a chorus in a different language, but you have the um, the verses in English, right? And that's actually what I did with my, my, my Celtic and flamenco tunes, much, much of the same was you had those choruses in the native language that I was trying to write in. And then you had in the verses, all the other types, uh, well, basically English was the dominant, you know, form of, of, of language and using those verses. Yeah. Well, that brings us to our songwriting course, guys. We actually have a complete songwriting course called Metal Songwriters Forge. Uh, head over to metalmastermind.com. Uh, click on the button that says courses, and you'll see all of our courses there. But yeah, do check out Metal Songwriters Forge. And I mentioned an update. Ken and I are actually revamping this course. The content, the current content will still remain there, but we're just adding like a tremendous amount of value, more value uh, to the course. We're actually going to be expanding the course in, into some other areas, even into recording, because that's part of songwriting. So uh, what I'll say is if, if you grab the course now, right now, it's at a, it's at a stupid discounted price. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's like a no brainer. So if you grab it now, um, when we do release the upgrade and we're, we're shooting for, I, I'm going to, I'm going to give us some time. We're going to shoot for May. It might be sooner than that. But um, but once we do have that, you will get that upgrade at no additional cost if you buy the course now. If you wait, uh, of course, the course is still going to be reasonably priced. But it is we are going to increase the price of that, uh, Ken. We we have a lot of content, a lot of value going into this thing. So, uh, so just a quick note. Grab it now. You'll get the upgrades when those are released. Even without the upgrades, it's a great course. It's helped so many. I know a lot of you listening have the course and Thank you, by the way. But again, guys, head over to metalmastermind.com. Click on the courses button and you'll see Metal Songwriters Forge there. Uh, so go check that out. And guys, want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Ken and I, we both appreciate you all greatly for, for being a part of Metal Mastermind, being a part of this awesome community. You guys are what makes it awesome. So again, we do appreciate you. As always, folks, create your own sound.